listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to Monday, and thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. The world perhaps is coming to an end, but we have edibles, so it all balances out. You may want to be hitting that vape pen after you find out what's going on in Iran with escalating tensions between the United States and Iran. We're going to get into that later on in the program. We're going to take you to Washington, D.C. We're also going to look at whether or not Trump was justified in his decision and ask the question that I don't think anyone really has a clear answer to yet, which is why now? Why take out the general now, the Iranian general now, at this point when obviously he would have been a target for many years, and as Trump has himself said, should have been done years ago. But why was it done now, and what does that mean? But let's begin with what you heard in the news, that the Ontario Cannabis Store is releasing 59 new products beginning today, including edibles, beverages, lotions... (laughs) lotions and concentrates the products go on the shelves they're available now then they'll be available online uh january 16th on ocs.ca prices for legally sold edibles will range from seven bucks to 14 bucks beverages four bucks to 10 bucks and then this one i this grabbed me vapes are priced anywhere from 25 to 125 dollars who is buying a 125 dollar vape pen what is that what do you get with that? Is it is it dipped in gold? Is it Kanye version? It's the Snoop Dogg version. Is it wow? Dr. Lawrence Lowe here next saying that users have to be really super careful when it comes to edibles because you know those those doses of ten milligrams of THC in a product, you might pop one of those in and you go, I don't feel a thing. Nothing. I don't feel you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna eat the rest of this package. Here is the doctor saying, Don't do that. There are both these short-term risks around accidental ingestion and overdosing that we're concerned about with edibles, but there are still those longer-term chronic uh, risks around edibles, particularly around addiction and also exacerbation of existing mental health issues that we might be worried about in the longer, longer run with cannabis edibles as well as any form of cannabis as it's consumed. That is Dr. Lawrence Lowe, and he published a report in the Canadian Medical Association Journal talking about the risks of edibles. And what he's talking about there in terms of risks of addiction, cannabis and THC addiction, the science says that it is very low. Five to ten percent of those that uh, take THC are at risk of getting addicted. Obviously, that's considerably lower than anything like smoking or any other drug. It doesn't. It has a very low addiction. But it does do a couple of things. One, there is a risk of it. And two, there is the potential, as you heard the doctor talk about, of exacerbating already existing mental conditions. There is some evidence that uh, that THC can heighten or uh, encourage uh, all kinds of mental health disorders. So that's something you got to keep in mind if you're thinking about, well, let's let's go down to the OCS and let's go down to the local cannabis store and get ourselves some edibles. Over the course of the hour, I want to hear from you. I want to hear about your edible story. Have you ever eaten too many of them? I know you've got stories. Call me and let me know about your edible story. Would you take them? Are you concerned about... People just popping a couple of gummies and getting behind their Ford, uh, you know, truck and getting out in the roads. You worried about that? 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. It is the edible hour 
here on the Alan Carter Radio Program, and we'll be dipping in and out with you, our listeners, and hear about what you have to say when it comes to edibles. But before we get to all of that, we want to talk about Diane Ford. The mother of Ontario Premier Doug Ford and the late Toronto Mayor Rob Ford has died at the age of 85. Diane Ford was fiercely protective and loyal to her family. Here she is in June of 2011, responding to criticism that the late Mayor Rob Ford was not going to the Pride Parade because of homophobia. Here's her, here's her reaction to that. All these allegations that they're saying to him, it's not true. He just wants to spend the weekend with his family. You may recall that there was quite a bit of controversy back in 2011 when Rob Ford, then mayor, decided that he would not attend any, any Pride events whatsoever, saying that this was the weekend that he was away with his family. My heart breaks for my son. It really does because he has been attacked was one of her quotes in an exclusive 2013 interview. She went on to say that she didn't condone his behavior. This is Mayor Rob Ford after his shocking admission about his use of drugs, but that she felt that he had been treated unfairly. It is not acceptable behavior, but he's the mayor of the city. He knows that better than anyone now, but you know to err is human and to forgive is divine, and we all err. But here there is no forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't in the eyes of the media right now. That, a quote from Diane Ford. And I believe the reporter who did that interview joins us on the line right now. Travis Danraj is our Global News Queens Park Bureau Chief. Uh, hi, Travis. I'm just trying to get Travis on the line. And as we get Travis hey, on the Alan. line... Oh, hey, there you are, Travis. Uh, that, that interview uh, was... So fascinating at the time, and just give me a sense of the role that Diane had played in the Ford family in terms of shaping the political lives of her sons and uh, the Ford family. The rock of this family, and I think, you know, they used that that were in the statement, uh, the official statement that was put out by the premier's office, but really in all sense is that that's what she was. I mean, she was the matriarch of the family. Um, when, when there was any issue, um, Diane Ford was there and she was someone that everyone could turn to, to count on, um, to be that steady force within the family. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I had spoken to her several times, um, throughout covering Rob and throughout covering Doug. And she told me at one point, you know, she said, this is a family that closes ranks when there are issues. And you through uh, the the struggles that Rob went through. Um, she was always there by his side. And, you know, she was a, a, a strong mother and, you know, you really uh, felt that. I had an opportunity to meet with Diane Ford on the, the night that Rob passed away. And I, I, you know, it was just a private meeting, myself and her. And um, you could feel her grief. I mean, this was really painful. And it was painful for her to see uh, everything that was said about her son in the media. Um, you know, politics aside, you have to be feeling for the Ford family right now. Absolutely. And one of the things that happened after uh, Rob had passed away, when all of a sudden the leadership of the Progressive Conservative Party opened up, 
Doug Ford announced his intention to run for the leadership from the basement of his mother's home. You may recall that. And in the wake of that, there were many jokes and snickers, and I will plead guilty to making a number of those jokes myself. But what Doug Ford said in response to all of that is, laugh all you like. So many political figures have been to that house. The house itself and what she created, the environment in that house, made it a political focal point in Ontario. And that is the place where so many Ford Fests had been held before. The first Ford Fest, actually, I think, was there as well. And it's true, right? I mean, that home on Westonwood Road was known as the Ford Family Home. And uh, I, I talked to some of the Ford family last night. They had gathered there, and that really was the center um, and continues to be the center of, of when there are issues, when there are celebrations. Um, when Rob was going through his troubles, that is where the Ford family gets together and where you know political folks of, of all stripes have gotten together to, to meet with the Fords, and that is something that you're seeing once again. I want to read to you uh, Kathleen Wynne, former premier, who had lost her father. John Wynne died in the uh, in the summer of 2019, of summer of last year. Kathleen Wynne tweeting, condolences to Premier Ford at this time of sadness. I know your mother, Diane, was close and important to you and will be dearly missed by you and your family. A classy response there from Kathleen Wynne, who knows firsthand about losing a parent very recently. And it... Interesting really here, Travis, to talk about how much Diane Ford really has shaped politics in this province. And you know the other thing that I'm thinking about right now, Alan, is that she really, you know, it's very easy to look at Rob Ford as the the politician, to look at Doug Ford as a politician and, and see them as kind of figures that are out there. Diane Ford humanized these these people um and and made folks in the public think about that. that this is their mother, right? I mean, she, she brought it back to, well, this is an actual human being that everyone's reporting on that's going through some addictions problems right now. Yes, he is the mayor, but he's also my son. Um, and she was a constant reminder of that. Travis Damrej is our Queen's Park Bureau Chief, talking about the passing of Diane Ford. Always great to have you on the program, Travis. Thank you so much. Let's take you now to Iran and the thousands attending the funeral procession for the killed General Soleimani. The size of the crowds that we're seeing on television are enormous. We're also seeing visuals of Iran's supreme leader shedding a tear at the funeral. And here, this man in the crowd promises revenge against the United States for killing one of Iran's leaders. Trump made a big mistake. He killed our hero, the best man who could fight against ISIS. The United Nations Atomic Watchdog Agency now says its inspectors are continuing to monitor and verify Iran's activities in terms of trying to build nukes. 
This after Tehran announced it would no longer abide by the limits of the 2015 nuclear deal with world powers in response to the U.S. killing of its top military commander. So all of that increasing worries about the possibility that Iran may be enriching uranium, may be closer to getting a bomb. Those are some of the developments today. Reg Cicchini is with Global National and is a Washington Bureau uh, correspondent, joins me from Washington. Reggie, thanks for joining me again. Happy 2020. So what's the response from Washington at this point in terms of both Trump and the Democrats? Well, look, Republicans and Democrats are aligned on the killing of Soleimani, or at least on the the uh, the taking out of what was perceived to be uh, what they claim to be a very evil person who had the blood of tens of thousands of of uh, civilians on his hand over the last uh, you know number of decades. But Republicans are falling in line with the president, saying that this killing was justified. Democrats continue to fight back to say, was it actually justified? Did the president overstep his ground? by carrying out this uh, airstrike in a sovereign country that was not Iran uh, and and has kind of like further uh, destabilized what was already an unstable region. So there are a number of questions as to what the president was thinking, who was feeding into the president's mind, and what could possibly be the next step if we end up seeing any kind of retaliation out of Iran or any of its proxies. We have, Reggie, seen some reporting over the course of the weekend that suggested that there was a, a list of options presented to the president by the Pentagon and that the president chose the assassination and the killing of Soleimani and that shocked Pentagon officials that they didn't believe he would pick that. What do we know about that? Well, this was so it was came from the New York Times, this report, and it, it, it shocked a number of Department of Defense officials that the president chose the most extreme option. There are some people who are commenting, though, saying that it doesn't uh, really surprise them that the president went to that extreme. This is what the president likes to do. He likes to show his strong arm. He likes to kind of flex military muscle by saying we uh, are looking for results and this is ultimately going to get us the results. The president believing if you take the top person out, it's going to create some discords and not able. Uh, uh, make it uh, further difficult uh, for something like Iran to continue to kind of terrorize and create terror around the Middle East. The problem with that uh, logic is, is that taking out one person simply takes out leadership. It doesn't stop the tens of thousands of people who follow in that line uh, from carrying out any kind of further uh, attack or further threat. So the president going to the extreme uh, has still or is going to have an unknown consequence as we kind of wait to see what, what's going to happen next. And what was Trump saying about Iran, Iran's cultural sites today? Well, the president is saying that he has 52 different sites that he would target if Iran decided to increase its threats against U.S. interests or U.S. Uh, uh, persons that are in the region. Uh, and he said some of them are culturally and significantly important, and he would go after them. He repeated that again on Air Force One last night during a gaggle, saying, uh, if Iran can kill our people, uh, why can't we go after them? The problem is the International Criminal Court in 2012 uh, prosecuted the uh, then-leader of al-Qaeda for... Uh, uh, destroying religious artifacts in Timbuktu, and because of that, it opened up a new ability to charge for a war crime. So if the president was to go and destroy something that was culturally significant to a country that had nothing to do with an attack, that would violate international law. It would also violate U.S. military law that says things have to be done, in essence, eye for an eye, and your your attack against someone can't be greater than the crime that was originally uh, that was originally carried out. Richard Cicchini from Washington. 
Washington with the latest from there. Thank you so much, Reggie. Thank you, sir. I want to move now to Jim Moore, who is the Director of Political Outreach at Pacific University, for more analysis on what is motivating the president and whether or not this is a rogue commander in terms of the United States who has decided to go uh, much deeper than his advisors would want and what perhaps is going to play out in the weeks to come. Welcome, Jim. Good to be with you. What is your perspective in terms of this sort of belief that Trump here is acting as a rogue operative? Well, I think that's exactly right, but it's also exactly what his presidency is all about. Um, He was rogue just a few months ago in terms of Iran. Remember, there were attacks and there were ideas that the United States was going to send cruise missiles and things into Iran. Everybody was ready for it. And then the president surprised everybody and pulled back right at the last moment. So this is kind of the reverse of that. The president went after Soleimani, got him, and is now threatening to do more things in Iran. Um, So it it fits in with with what he has prided himself on in, in his presidency, which is he is the decider, he's the one who makes the difference, and he's going it alone. You raised the, the, the fact that the president called off that attack with just minutes to go, and he was widely praised for that. And then I, I will take that example, and then also the recent example of the killing of al-Baghdadi, in which, again, the president reaped praise for that. Do you think that those two things played into the decision of President Trump to go ahead with this missile strike? I think so. Um, he is got two things going on. First of all, he really responds to his supporters. Very quickly after those two events, and I expect him to do it any moment now, he goes off to a campaign rally and he gets great feedback from the people who support him. So that's one thing. The other thing is, in both those previous cases and in this case, he's doing what he can to do exactly the opposite of what he thinks Barack Obama would have done. Remember, Obama, especially in Syria, had a famous red line. Uh, Syria crossed that red line with chemical weapons, and Obama didn't do anything. And so the president prides himself on saying, here's the lines, let's go beyond them, there's going to be reprisals. What do you make about the inclusion of possible Iranian culture, cultural sites in this escalation? Well, it would take it to a whole different level. Um, People may remember in the early 2000s when the United States invaded um, Afghanistan, uh, the, the Taliban were on the run. One of the big things was the Taliban had destroyed the giant Buddhas in Bamiyan, the giant things you saw carved in the cliff. And that was seen as a crime against all of humanity because of the cultural side of it. Trump targeting cultural things in Iran will be something along those lines, as well as what your previous correspondent did, uh, was talking about with the 2012 Timbuktu issue. So it, it would raise it to a whole different level. The president would lose support internationally, but once again, inside the country, the people who support him would be right behind him because they don't think Islam is a legitimate religion. We have seen Iran's supreme leader shedding a tear at the funeral procession today. We have heard more vows of revenge to come from the Iranian government. What do you suspect Iran will do? There is an enormous amount of pressure within that country for that administration to act in some kind of demonstrative way. Right. We may have seen the first thing yesterday. Uh, a U.S. government website, kind of a low-level site, was taken over with a pro-Iranian uh, image on it. Um, but I would expect to see attacks. 
uh, you know, cyber warfare is nice, but attacks are what gets publicity. Attacks are what people can see. And so that's why the U.S. government, as well as the Canadian government, has been basically saying, if you're not involved here in Iraq, get out. Get out now. Um, so that's what we're really looking for. The key thing is, is it the relatively weak Iranian military? So, for instance, are there attacks on tankers in the Gulf? Or is it more along the lines of what we would call terrorism, the Al-Quds force, uh, doing things with IEDs or kidnapping people or whatever it is inside Iraq where there are lots of U.S. forces? In the past, we have seen proxy operatives operating on the behalf of Iran and Iran having, you know, deniability. In this case, Iran will want to take responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't expect to see something, for instance, Hezbollah in, a, in, a, in a Lebanon, the part of it that's really closely allied with Iran. I wouldn't expect to see them do something there. That's not direct enough. Iranians, especially today, Iranians want revenge. It's part of their culture. It's part of their, their emotional attachment to Soleimani. It's part of the, the tears of the, the supreme leader. Uh, they want a direct slap back at the United States. We also have heard that Iraq wants American forces out of its country. As this all shakes down, does this put Iraq further in the Iranian sphere of influence, do you think? I'm not sure if it does it further, because it's not clear how close that is. Remember, Iraq is is primarily Shia, and that's what the legislature is there, the parliament there, and, and the Shia run Iran. But there's a big difference between Shia Persians in Iran and Shia Arabs in Iraq. Remember, during the 1980s, they fought an incredibly bloody war against each other. So I'm not, it, it, the, there's a, something to be said about the common religion, but the different ethnicities have proven to be really, really divisive in the past. Jim Moore is Director of Political Outreach at Pacific University. Thank you so much for joining me on the program today. You're welcome. Welcome back to the program. A quick update on the Ontario Liberal leadership race. The numbers are out. 37,831 members of the Ontario Liberal Party will choose the next leader. That'll happen in March. There are six candidates to take over the party. And right now, the leader is Stephen Del Duca, who sold 14,000 memberships in second place. And remember, selling memberships is the way you win this kind of thing. Is The second in, in there is Michael Cotto, who is a current MPP. And third place after that is Mitzi Hunter. Now, there are six in all. And keep in mind, the last time we checked on the polls that in this province it is the leaderless liberals that are often outpolling anybody. They're outpolling Doug Ford, they're outpolling Andrea Horvath. So it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes down, but that is what we have in terms of leadership membership numbers. Are you interested in a new te- television? Tens of thousands of people are descending on L.A. this week for the CES, that is a consumer electronics show. It's that electronics showcase. And here's Alex Stone with a preview of what everybody's talking about in Vegas. When it comes to big TVs, because historically CES is known for the big new TV reveals, there's a push here for 8K TVs. Problem is, there's not a lot of 8K content yet. Samsung is making news with its bezel-less, super-thin TV, 
basically it has no border around the screen. It's just all screen. It is 8K. Samsung says most TVs are 95% TV and the rest is plastic around the edge. This is 99% TV. The price isn't known yet. Here's what I wonder about this. All of this push for new, bigger, better televisions, 8K, 27K, 150K, who knows? Where does it all end? But then you look at a new generation. I look at my kids. They don't television. I, I don't want to look at that. I'm looking at this tiny little screen in my hand. So where is the market going forward for televisions? I mean, you think about the way television has changed just over the course of your own life. You know, at one point it was a giant piece of furniture. I remember, you know, it was like a big built-in unit, a huge chunk of furniture, big, deep thing. And then eventually those went away, and then we got our flat screens, and everybody had to upgrade to flat screens because you had to have that. And then you had to get, you know, the the better resolution and the better resolution and into all these developments. And now we seem to be just at a point where, okay, well, it, it's just a bigger and slightly better version of the thing you've already had. But my question is, is who's buying these things going forward? Like, do millennials want huge TVs? I don't think so. I love this story. A woman who says she was testing a mattress at a furniture store last week said she just felt a little bit sleepy. Police in the St. Louis suburb of Richmond Heights answered a call from an employee at a furniture store who said there was a woman wandering through the store. The woman told them she was testing a display mattress the night before and fell asleep. The store declined to press trespassing charges, so police escorted the well-rested woman out the door. Later on Facebook, police posted, that's honestly the best mattress endorsement we've ever heard. Hail! ABC News, St. Louis. Please, please. No jokes from the police officers, please. No, none. Did you know that today is divorce day, by the way? This is apparently a thing that on the first Monday after the break that divorce lawyers see an uptick in people calling to say, so what's it going to cost me to get out of this thing? So this today is divorce day. I don't know if you knew this. this is, that is That is depressing. And if that's not depressing enough... How's about this story from the CBC about this Ottawa woman who has now partnered with herself? This is a new trend now, and this is a lot of a lot of in Japan is a big thing now. But this is this, this woman who she flew to Vegas. She goes up in a hot air balloon uh, for her wedding proposal. This was back in November. Essentially, she gets on a knee and proposes to herself. No, she does. <laughs> And then Sheba Siddiqui's back, by the way. Hi, Sheba. Hi. my producer. Welcome back. Glad to be back. Uh, so she's decided to marry herself. She's partnering with herself. And she thinks it's, it's basically it's a, it's a way to reaffirm her belief in herself. And she's a romantic and she wanted to be romantic. Uh, and just because she doesn't have a partner, well, hey, she should get a ring, too. Anybody? Well, you got to love yourself before you can love anyone else. This is, right? Thank you. <laughs> thank so why you, not Dr. Just Robert, <laughs> on the board. Does, is this not the height of narcissism? Is this not what this is? I think it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Should, I, should we look down upon this kind of thing? I mean, maybe, maybe it's just what we all need is to give ourselves a hug and go get ourselves some jewelry. And where, what ring finger, what finger do you put that ring on, by the way? 
Well, I think there's nothing wrong with getting yourself some jewelry and giving yourself some love, but do you really need to go propose to yourself on a hot air balloon in Vegas? What happens if yourself says no? Well, that is awkward. <laughs> That's awkward. That is awkward. Ouch. Welcome back to the program. I'm not sure if you watched Little Golden Globes last night. Really, for me, the only reason to watch the Golden Globes is to watch a uh, an atheist get up there and just skewer everybody. Ricky Gervais, one of my absolute favorites, he kicked it off by saying, this is the last time he's ever going to do this kind of thing. You'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting these awards, so I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking. I never did. <laughs> Ricky Gervais, and of course we've heard that before, we've heard that, well, he's not coming back, he won't be asked back, he was absolutely, and then of course they ask him back, because it gets the results, it gets the ratings, people want to watch because they want to hear what he's got to say, and this, I think, is the most interesting thing that he had to say, this is Ricky Gervais number two here, this is his rant about what celebrities should do if they actually win. Well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? So, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right... Come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your God. And Ricky Gervais last night at the Golden Globe, so he drops that, everybody applauds, and then, what, a couple of minutes later, Patricia Arquette wins for her role in the act and then gets up there and does what? Makes a political speech right away. I beg of us all to give them a better world. For our kids and their kids, we have to vote in 2020 and we have to get beg and plead for everyone we know to vote. And then, after that, Michelle Williams, who takes home actress in a limited series or TV movie honors, she decides to get political. Thank God, or whomever you pray to, that we live in a country founded on the principle that I am free to live by my faith, and you are free to live by yours. So it doesn't matter what they say at the beginning of these things. Like, all right, quit preaching to us. They just can't help themselves. Chris Jenselowitz is with Global News Online and is covering this. We've been talking about Golden Globes all morning. Uh, you up late watching it, Chris? I was. Yeah? yeah. Okay. What, what's your takeaway? What's the big takeaway from the film? Well, I'm just going to say about the, the speeches, the various speeches, actors got to act. You know what I mean? We can't forget these are actors, you know, so they're going to take any chance they have when there are spotlight spotlights on them and they have this open platform. Why not? Millions of people are watching. I they think a million people are watching, but uh, yeah, it's like an, it's in an audience. They can't do? resist it is yeah, the thing. And not. it just gets, it's so preachy and it just turns me right off. This yeah. is the thing that I, 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 I'll flip away. And that's why I loved Ricky Gervais. That particular joke that you uh, seized on there is absolutely what I've wanted to hear for the last 15 years covering award shows. I want someone to say, I know he's a celebrity himself, but the irony's there. That's fine. But I want to hear someone say that to celebrities. I want to hear someone say, you know what? We don't want your opinion right now. We want to just see you come up, look fabulous, say yeah. thank you, and be gone. Sure. There's one thing to say, you know, uh, thanks for this, thanks for that, I really appreciate this, and, you know, giving credit to people, whatever, that's fine. But when it comes to moral and ethical preaching, it just crosses a line where you're just like, you know what, I don't want to hear this from you. But you make millions of dollars a year, I just, 
I don't care. Well, here's Joaquin Phoenix preaching to his fellow actors about some, I don't know what he was talking about, something about not traveling in private jets. Sometimes we have to take that responsibility on ourselves and make changes and sacrifices in our own lives. Wait, what? Yeah, he seemed a little rambly last night. I'm not sure whether he'd gotten to, into the moe or what was <laughs> happening, but uh, something was going on there at the end. Uh, he was very rambly. I, I don't know. He didn't really have much of a point other than don't take a private jet. Here, I want to move ahead to Tom Hanks 3. This is Tom Hanks 3. This is where he gets all emotional when he's talking about his family. Here's Tom Hanks at the Golden Globes. Um, I A man is... <laughs> Sorry. A man is blessed. A man is blessed with a family sitting down front like that. A wife who is fantastic in every way, who has taught me what love is. And that's Tom Hanks with a nice little emotional moment talking about his family. But previous to that, just a little bit before that, this is 14 Chet. Here is Hanks' son outside the Golden Globes. This is Chet Hanks. And what is... What is he doing here? He's doing some patois. I don't get this. Big up, big up the whole island massive. It's your boy Chatana coming straight from the Golden Globes. You know what I'm saying? My father Tom Hanks presenting in a while. Tune forward, come. Big up, tune in. What? It gets worse every time I hear it. It gets worse every time. (laughs) Just... For clarification, this is a white guy here. This is, I mean, this is not a Jamaican guy. What? What do you make of that? I have absolutely no explanation. I know he has a storied past of drug use, and he is actually a rapper. Uh-huh. Uh, I forget his name at the moment. I think it's like Chez. He slightly changes Chet to Chez. Uh-huh. Um, and I have to tell you that last night was really the first time that I'd You'd ever heard, heard of him. No. Well, now that's kind of blowing up, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's huge right now. Right now we're writing it up on globalnews.ca um, as we speak. Can I get it one more time? Because it was just that good. It was just that good. Here's again is big up, Chet Hanks. Big up the whole island massive. It's your boy Chetana coming straight from the Golden Globes. You know what I'm saying? My, my father Tom Hanks presenting in a while. Soon forward come. Big up. Tune in. Oh, just embarrassing. Do you remember when Rob Ford got into trouble? When he was, remember, remember he got into trouble because yeah. he was caught on, on camera speaking in a patois? Yeah, wasn't he at the real jerk? No, it was I, it was it was like the state at a queen. restaurant or something. It was in oh, Etobicoke, something okay. like that. It was a, yeah, interesting. Uh, anyway. All right, here can we move on to Brad Pitt? This is Brad Pitt, and I did not realize this that you, if you're talking about Leo now, you call him the, you call him LDC. I thank my partner in crime, LDC. <laughs> you know when before the Revenant, I used to watch you know year after year his co-stars accept awards and get up and thank him profusely. I know why. He's an all-star. He's a gent. And uh, I wouldn't be here without you, man. I thank you. Still, I would have shared the raft. Straight up to the LDC. Yeah, I felt so part of it. Didn't you feel like part of it? Like you were like just hanging with some of their friends. Yo, LDC, LDC, what's up? Like, yeah, yeah, what's up, man? Yeah. All right, now give me the, here's the overall thing to take away here, is that Netflix was, this is supposed to be the coming out for Netflix this year. Uh, with all of the films that we'd been nominated, Marriage Story, um, The Irishman, so on and so forth, but yet stiffed. Yeah, I mean, that was really the talk, most talked about point of the night. Besides the raft part of Titanic, I mean, that's pretty important, right? 
Um, no, but really, uh, 34, for 34 nominations for Netflix, you come in and you win two. That is like a, a massive message being sent, basically saying Hollywood isn't ready. I don't think Hollywood's ready for the streaming giants to take over. I think they're still stuck in this old school methodology where, you know, it's like a universal studios. It's a, it's a Warner brothers. It's gotta be, you know, big picture in the theaters, in the cinema. And I think, uh, it's going to take a little bit of a, a growth period for Hollywood to fully embrace. And, and do you expect that to carry over to the Oscars as well? I do. Yeah. And because the Irishman, and this is, I mean, there was so much hype around the Irishman. A lot of people think that that one was at one point a odds on favorite to pick up best picture, but it doesn't look that way now. Yeah. I feel like it, that's not going to happen. And we have to also remember that Golden Globes has um, two categories within movies. So it's even more diluted. So I guess when you get to the Oscars, you're going to have probably about 10 nominees for best picture. So it's possible. It's up to 10. Yeah, it's up to 10. So you're probably, I would guess probably eight to 10 nominees this year. And I bet Irishman will be in there and I bet Marriage Story will be in there. But uh, the chances of winning, I think, are a lot slimmer now based on. Do you think that 1917, which picked up one of those two awards that you're talking about, do you think that it now has a little bit more steam behind it? 100%. It's definitely got a boost from winning last night. It won two. Don't forget it won Best Director as well. So um, those are two pretty huge categories. And it was the Tarantino film that won the other. Correct. Best. M- musical comedy. I don't. <laughs> how do. What? I, what? I don't know. I don't know how to tell you how they divide it up category-wise. It's always, every year there's always some question mark about why is this here, why is this there. So it's just to include everything, I think. They just kind of cram it in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. So coming out of this, what are you what are you betting now in terms of Oscars? What are you, where's your thinking? Uh, the Oscars are generally, the Academy is generally more um, in the box, shall we say. Uh, it's a little bit less likely to break boundaries, whereas Golden Globes, you know, there's some weird wins last night. So, you know, it's, it's willing to take chances a little bit. So I think with Oscars, we're going to get an even more restrained, um, maybe a more dull show. <laughs> It'll be Gervais-less, that's for sure. So Are we gone hostless again this year? Is that what's happening? As far as we know. As far yep. as we know. No yep. host. It'll be a multitude of celebs probably just <laughs> dipping in and out. Our favorite thing yeah. for four hours. Can we get can we get Chet on for four hours? Could we get a little of this on big for up, four hours? Big yeah. Up the whole island massive. It's your boy Chet and I coming straight from the Golden Globes. You are saying we've seen it for the time. I'm expecting in a while. Soon forward come. Big up. I can't hear it anymore. What, he, what is he thinking? I don't, I don't know if he was. What is he th- even? Christian Selowitz, always great to have you on the program. Anytime. Thank you so much. Of course, the Golden Globes last night, and we're looking ahead to the Oscars coming up. That is it for me, the Alan Carter Radio Program, coming to a conclusion. But I know, I know, you're thinking, how am I going to survive the rest of my day without more AC? Well, I'll get you some. 5.30 on TV. Join me on Global News with my co-anchor, Farah Nasser. That is simulcast. <laughs> simulcast beginning at 6 o'clock. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to promise we won't play that. I'm going to promise there will be no patois from Chet Hanks. I'm going to burn that clip. Thank you so much for spending your hour with me. Back again tomorrow at noon.